0: Matthew chapter 16. We'll begin there in just a moment. We are grateful that you are here this morning. We do have visitors in our midst. Uh, Many of you know the Jenkins who have been with us off and on at least once a year or so for a long time, and they're back with us uh, today passing through. We have other visitors who are with us for maybe the first time or the second or third time, but we're grateful that you are here. Uh, We have another full day as we usually do on Sundays, of course we had Bible class at 9 30 our worship time now Uh, we'll have lunch in just a few moments those usually uh, on this side of the room if I preach long enough can see it wafting across the room to those on the other side Uh, the smell of lunch passing through the doors there but we'll have lunch in just a few moments when we're done if you're visiting with us we'd love for you to stay and enjoy some time of fellowship with us there and then we'll have our afternoon service. If you uh, don't want to stay for lunch, that's fine, but please plan to be back with us at 1.30. As we've been trying to do over the last few months, our services today, our lessons in particular will connect, uh, sort of continuing a thought uh, that we begin in the morning that will go through the afternoon lessons. So we'd love for you to be back with us for our service at 1.30. As was mentioned in particular today, uh, our young people who are participating in the last leaders program will have our first Bible Bowl practice this afternoon after uh, our second service. Uh, we are beginning today to study the book of books of Ezra and Nehemiah as part of that Bible Bowl uh, preparation. And that's the theme of the whole convention and the whole year this year is the idea of rising up and building from Ezra and Nehemiah. So we look forward to beginning that beginning that today. But it's certainly just a good day. Uh, it's not always the brightest and the cheeriest outside, but the chance to be together especially in the Word of God, but also as we enjoy time of fellowship and fun and laughter. We're thankful that you're here, and if you're visiting with us, hang around for a moment. Let us get to know you uh, after our service this morning. If I ask you if you know, or does anyone here know the name Joe Donnelly? Now, I'm thinking about one in particular, and maybe you know someone that goes by that name, but we're probably not talking about the same person. I'm guessing most people may not know the Joe Donnelly that I'm talking about, and I would suggest to you that, that until earlier this week, or I would just share with you that until earlier this week, I didn't know this particular Joe Donnelly either. Uh, Joe Donnelly was born in Massapequa, New York in 1955, but more recently, he became a United States Senator from the state of Indiana. Now, in doing the research, it was actually on my birthday, October 8th, my birthday last year, that he was nominated by President Joe Biden to become the United States Senator to the Holy See. That's right, in case you didn't know, we have our tax dollars, your tax dollars and mine, go to support lots of things, but one of those things in particular is the United States Ambassador to a little state of about 200 or 120 acres in Rome, Italy, that's also known as Vatican City or the Holy See. It's the smallest state in the world both by area and by population and it's governed of course by the head of the Catholic Church also known as the Bishop of Rome or the Pope. Of course for us it is Jorge uh, Bergoglio also known as Pope Francis who was elected as the Pope almost 10 years ago in March of 2013. Now I was had a hard time finding the most recent statistics but by Closest count, there are over 50 million people in the United States alone who call the Pope Father. Catholics claim that the Pope is the successor of St. Peter, who was the first Pope. This morning, we're going to talk about, if you have a bulletin in front of you, you've seen the title of the lesson it is, The Good Confession. Now, as, as we mentioned, our screens are, are beginning to work again. We've got the songs. We're still working towards getting the PowerPoint back up where you can fill in the outline as we go through the lesson. But I put a few blanks in there for you to fill in as we're going to talk this morning about the good confession. Question, have you ever heard that phrase used before? Have you ever heard anyone talk about the good confession? I've probably used it, maybe even without thinking before. Sometimes it takes place, even as we have mentioned already several times this morning, Caroline was baptized on Wednesday night. And sometimes when a baptism takes place, whether it's what happens down here in the front before we step into the baptistry, or even sometimes in the baptistry, the preacher might say, upon this good confession, or now you've made this good confession. If you've heard that before, you may be wondering, well, what's, what's he talking about? What does that mean? This morning, we're going to talk about the good confession. And you may even be thinking, well, what does that have to do with the Pope? Well, let's look together beginning this morning at Matthew chapter 16. As we enter Matthew 16, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry. If you go back a few pages in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, Matthew says that Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and the diseases, every disease among the people. You see, his his fame is well known. He's been traveled through the area. The stories have gone on about him, and his ministry has been in full force. But now it's beginning to draw closer and closer to the end. In fact, you don't have to look but a page or two to your Bible, to Matthew chapter 21, and we see what most people know excuse me, or call the triumphal entry, right? And so he's nearing those very last few days, the last week of his life. His ministry is almost over as we come to Matthew chapter 16. And so he turns to those closest to him, to his disciples or his apostles, and he has to know, he just wants to know what they really believe about him. So let's begin then in verse number 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, impetuous Peter, speaks up. Peter says, You are the Christ the son of the living God. So Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon's son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the passage, and many of you are familiar with this, but this is the place where Catholicism teaches and believes that Peter is going to become or is the first pope. But you see, I don't see that anywhere in what we just read. There's no mention of him being the Pope. There's no indication that Peter begins to wear all white or that he takes a vow of celibacy or anything else that we think of that we think is associated with the Pope. So why is it then that they believe and teach this? Well, it has to do with the relationship between the name Peter here and the term rock that is used here. We've talked about this a lot lately, I mentioned my class this morning, but if you just kind of read through, and especially if you're not familiar with the original language, and of course I'm by no means a scholar in that way, but you see the word rock, or this term that's used here, and it's the relationship between these two things. What did Jesus say in verse number 17, or in verse number 18 here, excuse me? Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter. Now, the word there is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. That means rock. So he says, I say unto you that you are Peter, that you are Petros, and upon this rock, that's the second word, and it's the relationship. The second word is Petra, P-E-T-R-A. He says, I say unto you, Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. And so this is the basis for their argument, and, and that the argument here is that's not all that Jesus is saying when he's using those phrases there. In fact, the rock is not Peter, but it has to do with the statement that he makes. This is a great place to mark in your Bible if you like to do that. If you have a, a, a paper Bible there and a Bible that's, that you can write in, I'll have a circle or a box around the word rock in verse number 18 in my Bible, and I've drawn an arrow back up to verse number 16. It's a good visual reminder for me that anytime I look at this verse, that the rock upon which the church is built is not Peter as being the first pope, but it's what Peter has said here. It's this statement. Can I give you four things very quickly to make mention of here or to note? Number one, the two words that are used. I I know I didn't like grammar very much either in school, but bear with me for just a moment. First of all, Petros here, P-E-T-R-O-S for Peter, is a masculine gender. A few years ago, I had the chance to go to a beginner, beginner level Greek class. And I lasted about 10 minutes, and I had a headache, and it hurt my head, okay? In case you don't know, and I know many of you have not studied Greek and English together, but the Greek is a lot more difficult in that there are cases and, and all these different forms in which a word can be. Here, this is masculine in Petros, and the Petra, the second one in verse number 18 on this rock, is a feminine gender. As Brother Wayne Jackson points out in his commentary on the New Testament, he says that the change in, in grammatical form here in the gender of the noun, it's not incidental. It's not like Matthew said, Oh, I just made a mistake, I'm sorry, they should be the same thing. There's a difference here. Because the rock upon which the church is built is important. It's not the same thing. The rock is not referring back to Peter. There are different gender forms there. Number two, Petros, with Peter, that first word, denotes a small rock. Peter is kind of small in the grand scheme, to think, scheme of things. Why? Because Peter's just a man. Peter's just a human like me and you. But the word Petra, there again in verse 18, the second one, includes the idea of a boulder. What would be a boulder but the statement, the good confession that we're talking about this morning? Not Peter. Peter's just there. Peter's just a man. Peter's going to do a lot of great things. We'll talk about it in just a second. But he's not the boulder upon which the church is built. Number three, Jesus uses the second person, you, in addressing Peter, but he changes to the third person when referring to the rock. He says, you are Peter, and upon you, that's not what he says, he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Second person versus third person. Again, I know it's grammar, but you kind of begin to see the difference in what he's talking about here. The fourth thing very quickly we notice is that God is using symbolism in this story. And what he's really doing is he's using the symbolism of a building project, right? A construction project that is being built to make a point. Within this illustration that's used here, Jesus is the builder. The church is the edifice. And Peter's confessing Confession, our word for the day, confession, that Jesus is the Messiah, is the foundational truth upon which the house of God was to be erected or built. If we're going to build this structure, the important structure is the church. The foundation is not Peter, not just a man, but it is this statement. Or we might say the good confession not also, not only that, excuse me, but in verse 19, he also hints, Jesus also hints, of Peter's privilege of preaching the gospel. Have you ever thought about it before? We sometimes talk about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Peter is handed the keys. And just like when you buy a house, if you've ever bought a house before, that realtor hands you the keys. When those keys are put in your hand, you go and you open the door. Peter opens the door not once but twice essentially. In Acts chapter 2, and by the way, this is another good place to mark in your Bible here if you choose to do so. Out next to verse 19, I have an arrow from keys to a comment that those keys were used in Acts chapter 2. Peter doesn't take those keys and just discard them or lose them. He takes those keys and he uses them in Acts chapter 2 to preach first to the Jews and to open the kingdom of heaven by establishing the church there in Acts chapter 2. But I told you it was not just once but twice. Peter's also the one in Acts chapter 10 that opens the kingdom to the Gentiles as he goes and he preaches to Cornelius' house. Peter is in control of those keys as he has been given the authority by Jesus and he's going to use those keys to open that building, the church, first to the Jews in Acts 2, And then to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, Jesus said here that he would be granted the keys or the authority that Peter would be granted the authority to open the kingdom. Now, that's a long way around and just a brief discussion on the pope and Catholicism and that kind of thing. But we're talking about the good confession. Well, what is it? If you have a bulletin in front of you and you begin to fill in our outline, what it is, it is is the rock on which the church is built. It's the rock upon which the church is built. Why is it that the preacher would make a big deal about the good confession? Why is it that we should study it this morning? Because it is the foundational principle. It is the rock upon which that foundation of the church is built. It's a belief. You know, we've been joking a lot around here as we do this time of year about all of our favorite football teams and that that kind of thing, but but your fandom, this so-called building of your fandom of your team is built upon the idea that they are the best to you, that you believe that that is your team and they are the best. The church is not built upon the rock of Peter, but it's built upon the foundation that we can say and know. And it's not even in a belief or an opinion and in that kind of sense, just my two cents or what you think, but the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that is the rock upon which the church is built. It's not Peter. It's this good confession, this great statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, we also see in the New Testament in action. If you have your outline there in action, we see it in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. That's the answer to the blanks in your outline. But if you want to turn over to Acts chapter 8, we know that it actually begins in verse number 26 through the end of the chapter that we read about this this good man. I believe he's a good man. He was an Ethiopian nobleman. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. As Philip is told to go and join himself to him, we see that he is studying the scriptures that's what this man is doing he is studying the scriptures so I think he's probably we might say a good man but he needs more he needs to be taught and so that's exactly what Philip is going to do and in verse number 35 Philip opens his mouth and he beginning at the scripture that he was studying, which, by the way, you see beginning in verses 32 and 33, that's where his, his Bible, it's not exactly a Bible like we have it, but his Bible or his scroll is opened to that passage there from Isaiah. And Philip opened his mouth and at that scripture preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And this Ethiopian nobleman answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You see the parallels there. Peter said it there in Matthew chapter 16. Here, the Ethiopian nobleman is saying the same thing, this good confession in action. He makes this statement. You know, I would love, we have so many sermons in the New Testament. We have so many sermons that were preached in the book of Acts. But I would love to know exactly what Philip said in this moment. I don't have to know, though, because I know that Philip preached Jesus. And while I don't have his three points I don't have his illustrations or anything that he used. I know that it must have been a very powerful sermon because it causes this fella to say what he says, to inquire about being baptized, to make this good confession here. And it's a good reminder from this whole story, this whole account right here that we had similar to two weeks ago. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about repentance? We talked about how repentance is the hardest part. Sometimes for people to follow through with not only changing their mind, repenting of their sins, but also changing their life. We said repentance does not just stop with changing your mind. It takes action. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. I pick on my kids a lot. I use them as examples, but sometimes they say, oh, I'm sorry, mama, or I'm sorry, daddy, but they don't actually change their behavior. That's not what repentance is. We went back even a month ago. We talked about belief or faith that's not enough you can't just say i believe that jesus christ is the son of god why because that's what the devils do the devil believes and his angels the devil believes so just believing is not enough just changing your mind or saying you're sorry is not enough and in the same way simply confessing or stating your sin is not enough but it takes further action When we read the story of the Ethiopian nobleman here, he doesn't say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then he stops. He said, his question was, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you want to be baptized, you can, but you've got to go through with this good confession as well. And he says, I believe. He makes the good confession. And then he also goes down into the water in verse number 38 and is baptized for the remission of his sins. We see this good confession not only in the original case with Peter in Matthew 16, but we see it in action as well here in Acts chapter 8. Now, there's three things I want to notice together before the lesson is over here and it will be yours. Why do we call it the good confession? Why is it good? I don't believe that the Bible teaches that explicitly. It doesn't necessarily use that phrase, but it is a good confession. Why is it? Why might we call it good? Three things here, and the lesson will be yours. Number one, because it is the truth. Why is it the good confession? Because it is the truth. The apostles believed it, and they said so. And in the next chapter, from Matthew chapter 16, if maybe you're still there, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus ascends the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes up on that mountainside, and he has that interaction there with Peter, James, and John, and as they look, they see Jesus, but they also see Moses and Elijah, and what does God say in that moment? I can't imagine what it would have been like to stand there. The The Bible tries to paint the picture for us, but Peter, James, and John, looking at Jesus transfigured, hear this incredible voice of God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What a moment there. God, the source of all truth, God, the one who holds all authority, he speaks the truth that Jesus is his son. Why is it a good confession? Well, number one, because it is the truth. God said it, the apostles say it, and we need to say it as well. We need to realize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is truth. In a world where truth is so muddled, Where I mean, we joke about the football example, but that's kind of true. We all have our different opinions and things, but in other ways, right? We can't know if a person is a a male or a female, or we can't know what marriage is, or, or in all these ways in which truth is just whatever you believe, we can look at the Word of God and know that this good confession is truth. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number two, it is good because it leads to salvation. It leads to salvation. The confession is good because it leads us or a person to salvation. Paul would write in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 10 that with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is why it is good. It leads us to salvation. There is a commitment that is made. We said last week or a couple of weeks ago, that repentance is the hardest part because a lot of it's done on the inside, right? A person can come forward this morning to the front row in just a few moments. They can get in the water and they can be baptized and, and that be it. Just, just take a bath, so to speak, and, and not actually change their life, not actually change their mind, not actually repent. And I guess in a sense, a, a person can simply, you know, just confess something. They can say something to be true. When we, when we come back this afternoon in our second service, we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of it leading to action. But at the same time, I think there is a bit of commitment when a person maybe stands here or again stands in the baptistry and with their mouth they say something in front of somebody else. Confession is made before an audience. You know, there doesn't have to be a large crowd to be baptized, right? We have that happen. Sometimes a person chooses to be baptized here sort of in the middle of our service or at the end. Sometimes somebody calls you up and they say, well, preacher, I've been studying and I'd like to be baptized. They say, can you meet me at the building? Absolutely. Do you want anybody else to come? No, I'd rather just be me and you or maybe my family and me and you be there. Okay, that's fine as well. But at the same time, to make a confession in front of an audience that is gathered together, whether it be one or 50 or 100, of course, the ultimate audience being God who is watching and rejoicing in that, there is a bit of a commitment. To say with your mouth, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confession is made unto salvation. That makes it good. Number three, and finally, it is a good confession because it brings honor or glory, excuse me, glory and honor to God. Glory and honor to God. We not only make the good confession with our lips, but also with our life of faithfulness and service every day. A person who is baptized for the remission of their sins, who has stood before an audience and said, I believe that should not be the last moment. That should not be the end. It should begin a life of service, a life of faithfulness. And that is what brings glory and honor to God. Yes, in that moment, it is wonderful. The angels of heaven rejoice. The church rejoices together, but that's not it. It brings honor and glory and honor to God because it begins a life of service, a person who is going to begin doing what is right, who is going to begin serving God. Going back to Matthew chapter 16 one more time, it is helpful to notice that when Jesus is going to question those who are gathered with him, what does he say first? I don't mean to, to mean that Jesus was underhanded in any kind of way or, or just set them up exactly as we might say. But I do think it's interesting. He asked them, hey, guys, who's everybody else saying that I am? What do men, what are the people saying about me? And, you know, I can kind of imagine they give their answers. Maybe they're mumbling. Maybe they're kind of stumbling. Well, you know, I heard over here and I, I've heard this other person say. and they're kind. Of, you know, they're, they're giving their answers. The answers that are recorded for us, or some say John the Baptizer, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He doesn't give it the moment, at least as it's recorded, he doesn't stop and question or say, "Well, why, that or why this?" He simply turns to the next question, the most important question. Who do you say that I am? I, that's great to know what they think and what the world is saying, but who do you say that I am? He gets personal. Everything depended on their answer. Everything for them in that moment depended on their answer. And everything for us depends on our answer. This morning as we begin to conclude this lesson, and we're about to sing the song here in just a moment, the question comes to you. Who do you say that he is?